that we have been in a, in a series of Ephesians for uh, a while now, and so we're taking a little bit of a taste break as we hit September. Um, and so we are going to be jumping into a concept called hermeneutics. Now, that concept when I was coming to Bible college and I first read that was quite daunting. Uh, it was a word that I was like, I don't even know if I can say that word. Um, but basically what it is, is the study of the Bible, the, the science and art of interpreting scripture. Um, and so we're going to use that word but like, don't, it's not intimidating. We're just making some building blocks of how to read the Bible. Because scripture is this strange book. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, but it's, a, it's not just a book, but it's a collection, it's a library of books and, and poems and historical accounts that have been written over thousands and thousands of years by um, many different people. And so it's not just like one cohesive book necessarily, but it's a library that we find ourselves in. And that actually creates a challenge because when we jump back into time to thousands of years ago, things are very different. My writing style would be different than your writing style. What I hope that you are going to get out of something is going to be different than the other person beside you. And just as we are all unique here, so are all these books of the Bible. And so while that's beautiful because we get to see a multifaceted view of Scripture and of God's revelation to us, sometimes it can be challenging right? Like, I'm sure you've opened your Bible, and you've read a passage, maybe like an obscure one, or maybe just one that you've opened and read a million times, and you read it, and you're like, cool. That was, that was my reading for the day. I have gained reading comprehension. And that feels like kind of all you get, because some of those parts of the Bible are confusing. Sometimes they're strange. Sometimes they have like weird imagery that uh, we don't quite like understand on face value. They, Jesus used a lot of farming metaphors, and I'm not a farmer, uh, and there are not many farmers maybe in the room either. And so there are some of these things that create gaps. But we have a collection of these books that we call the Bible. It is God's revealing of himself and his plan for humanity's redemption. And so I want you to imagine for a moment a tapestry. Now again, this is something that's not like super common in our world now. But I want you to imagine a tapestry. There are these beautiful, ornate uh, kind of threads of, of uh, picture that tell a story. Oftentimes tapestries were created so that a story could be told throughout like the length of this tapestry. So you have different colors, you have different texture, you have different depth, you have different pictures, you have all of these beautiful threads that come together to make a beautiful picture. I want to encourage you and I want to just give you a piece to think of in your mind when it comes to the Bible, that the Bible is the same way. That there are all of these threads that are kind of written by different people. They have different color. They have different texture. They have different uh, purpose and focus. And yet when they all come together as one, they create a beautiful picture. It creates this ornate and wonderful story. But on their own, these threads can seem extremely insignificant, right? Where if you were to look at the backside of a tapestry, some of them are actually unfinished. And so you like look on this backside and it's this like weird distorted image where you have like threads that are like sticking out here and there and like it looks like my hair in the morning and there's like all of these threads that you're like, what do these, what picture does this even look like? I don't even think this makes a picture, it just makes a blob of color. And yet when you turn to the top of the tapestry, you see the intent of what it was, this beautiful picture that tells a story. Well, I think scripture is that way. 
uh, I want to read a poem to you by Corey Ten Boom. She is an incredible lady. She was uh, Dutch. She harbored Jewish people uh, during World War II. She felt like it was her God-given mandate to protect those people. Um, she is an incredible historian and writer, um, theologian, uh, and she wrote poetry. And so I want to read to you some poetry that she wrote. It says, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reasons why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Well, I want to propose to you today that we, as we read scripture, often read the underside of the tapestry, so to speak, where we see these threads of things and we don't really quite understand, but I believe the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. We see that in scripture. And so as we journey in scripture, as we journey in faith, as we journey together, as we add some tools to our tool belt and how to actually read scripture, I believe that we see those threads, but we see how those threads make up the whole of the picture that we move from seeing the underside of the tapestry of just this blob of weird thread to the beautiful picture that God is trying to create. But this is like maybe an idealistic sort of presentation. Because again, I've already said, like, I read sometimes in the Bible, like, um, numbers, and I'm like, okay, this was all the people and how many there were. Like, what does this all have to do with each, with each other? But I believe that the study of hermeneutics, which is the study of the studying of the Bible, is what helps us see those threads as a beautiful tapestry. And so over our next three weeks, we're going to be looking um, at how that is, of some tools that we can add, um, of how to read the Bible so that it's not just words on a page, but it is uh, God revealed to us through his word uh, that brings transformation and beautiful picture to the whole of his redemptive plan for you and for I. And so as we jump into this study, let's pray. God, we thank you that you've revealed yourself. God, we thank you that you uh, haven't just revealed yourself in like clues and pictures, but that you've revealed yourself through your word. And so spirit of truth, I pray that we would wake up to the wonder of your word, that we would be people who, yes, maybe typically see the underside of the tapestry, but God, by your spirit, you would allow us to see the beautiful picture that you were trying to create within each one of us personally and in our world as well. And so, God, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you care about our hearts and our heads and how that affects our hands. And so, God, I pray uh, that we would know you better and know you more uh, today. We love you and we thank you and we praise in your name. Amen. Well, I've thrown that word around a couple times, hermeneutics. Um, and let's actually look at it, what it means. It's actually quite a simple thing. Hermeneutics is a theory and method of interpretation. It's the theory and methodology of interpretation. Now, the word hermeneutics is not an exclusively Christian term. Uh, it was a term that was around before then, but we have adopted it as Christians, and so we would apply this to the, to the uh, interpretation of the Bible. Now, hermeneutics is both a science and also an art. It's a science because there's methodology um, there's a way to do it. There is uh, kind of practices that we can have that allow us to interpret the Bible uh, correctly. 
but it's also an art. And that reading and studying the Bible is not just clinical. Like, it's not this, like, empty, kind of sterile sort of experience, but it's something that uh, appeals to, yes, our intellect, but also our emotion, our lives, uh, where we're at right now, to those around us. It brings depth and color and kind of a 4D experience beyond just being methodical, beyond just being intellectual, but it's satisfying for our souls and our spirit and our emotions as well. And so it's both science and art. It's kind of like cooking, where when you're cooking, you may have a recipe before you, um, you may have a, have a method of making something, but you, when you have an understanding of texture and flavor and temperature and like doneness, then you have all of that idea that comes together to create something much more beautiful than the sum of its parts. And that's what scripture is, that's what hermeneutics is, is it's taking all of those things together knowing the methods, but also having the art that comes with it and seeing that beautiful tapestry of scripture. Let's frame our time together. Um, I want to read you some statistics from a Canadian Bible engagement study that came out of 2014. So this is a couple years old, I will acknowledge that. Um, but 14% of Canadian Christians, Canadian Christians, read the Bible at least once a week. The majority of Canadians, including those who identify themselves as Christian, read the Bible either seldom or never. Weekly Bible reading in Canada has fallen uh, in half since 1996, and the frequency of Bible study and reading is actually the same for older generations as it is for younger generations. So there's not really a big gap between an older generation having a stronger uh, value of reading the Bible than another. And only 18% of Canadians strongly agree the Bible is the word of God. Now that Seems like it could paint a bleak picture, um, and you may feel yourself as one of those people, part of those statistics. Now, I don't say this to make you feel bad. Please do not hear shame, condemnation, judgment, if you maybe are like, ooh, I'm identifying with some of those things. Because I think that we have maybe forgotten or missed out or presumed in the church that people know how to read their Bible, that they can open it up and actually understand what it's saying. Like I said, it's incredibly complex. It's incredibly diverse. Uh, it's separated by thousands of years of history. And so I think we've kind of presumed in the church that people who sit in the pews know how to read their Bible. And the reality is we see that's actually not the case. And so as much as that you maybe may feel that, I think we all have an opportunity to grow and to learn and to add some tools to our tool belt because I understand there's no shame, there's no condemnation if you're somebody who reads your Bible and doesn't quite understand or if you've given up on reading your Bible because you just can't figure out like what the purpose of it is. Um, and so I think the church has a responsibility to teach its people how to read the Bible so that it transforms their life. Not just to read it so that we can like check off a box that Jesus says we need to do, but so that we can experience a transformation and truth in our life. And so I say that to say you're not alone. You're not alone if you struggle to read the Bible. If you struggle to understand what it means for you or for our world, uh, you are not alone. We are all in this together. But scripture, I think, frames the study for us as well. Uh, we can't talk about studying scripture without talking about scripture. So I'm going to read from you first uh, from 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we read this, we see that the Bible is useful. 
that it's actually relevant, that it's important for us because it does things like teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, trains us in righteousness. It essentially does all the things it's supposed to do so that we can walk as believers together. And so the point of it is so that we can be thoroughly equipped to do good work because good works, when they are misinformed, actually end up hurting. And so we want to see that scripture is God-breathed. It's alive. It's living. It's relevant. And it's also useful. And then Acts 17, verses 10 to 15, it's a short little story that I think is uh, often overlooked, but I, I love. It says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Well, we see Luke account uh, these people called the Bereans. Now, they were considered more noble than those of Thessalonica, which, like, it's not, it's not a competition, but they were seen as noble, and they were seen as more noble because they didn't just take the word of God for face value. They didn't just take what was preached to them in the synagogue for face value and just, like, believe it and do it. They had this intellectual uh, desire to, to read and understand for themselves. That they said, yes, there is a preaching of God, God's word. It's communicated to us. But I want to ensure that I am reading it for myself and believe it to be true as well. And that's actually the accountability that all teachers of the word need. It's for people to um, read it for themselves, to understand scripture, and to test what is said here on the stage or here in our Bible studies. Because we are people who need to be held accountable as well. And so my hope for us is that we are all like the Bereans that have not just like a duty, but a desire to jump into God's word, see if what was said is true. Because I believe when we do that, and it is true, that people believe in him, that we see a revelation of Jesus. And that, like it said, the Jews believed, but also those who weren't of faith as well. And so that's what kind of frames our study, is that as people of God, we want to be people who desire to know what it says for ourselves. And we also believe that it's useful. So it's useful and it's beautiful to us. And so we have a role that we play, but the church also has a role that we play in, in, in interpretation of God's word as well, in studying God's word. And that is of custodians. Now, a custodian is somebody who already has all the framework around them, and they simply maintain what is already there. So they take what has already been structured, what has already been built, what has already been revealed, what has already been built, and they are there to just maintain it, to, to keep it in its right place, to keep it in its right condition, to uh, not add or subtract anything, but to maintain it. And that's actually the role of the church, is that the church isn't there to add interpretation. We're not there to add things to the Bible or to the canon of Scripture. We're actually just here to maintain what has already been revealed to us. And so if people have like a new revelation or if they have a something that's outside of scripture that is beyond what our canon has, which our, our, the canon is like the totality of scripture as we have in the Bible, um, then we have begun to move out of our role in interpretation as a church from, from simply being custodians. And so we don't add anything or subtract anything from the word of God because to do so would make an idol out of God's word. And so the church has their role uh, as custodians of the word. We maintain it. We keep it. We uh, communicate it and, and condition, keep it in the right condition 
that it's meant to be. So as much as we as a church, like the big church, have that role, we also have a role of in, as individuals in interpretation as well. Now this has changed over history. Uh, before the Reformation happened, uh, the, the, the Catholic Church was the ones who would be the person who interpreted scripture. So that'd be the priest, the pope, uh, they would interpret scripture and they would be the only ones. Now that was for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, literacy and education was quite low at the time and so many people actually couldn't read. And so they relied on those who were educated to communicate that to them. Um, and so literacy rates were low. That's why hymns back in the day, um, and, and hopefully today as well, uh, were just essentially singing scripture is because it allowed for a memorization for people who couldn't read. But they could sing that song, they could memorize that song. And so that's why they had hymns. But before the Reformation, the Pope and the priest were those only ones who were allowed to interpret scripture. Also at that time it was in Latin. Um, who knows Latin in the room? There might be a, a few of us, but... Um, for those of you who do, congratulations, but for the rest of us, uh, I don't know Latin, and so I couldn't have read God's word then either, because uh, it was likely mostly in Latin. So that was before the Reformation. But then the Reformation happened, where Martin Luther uh, saw scripture as a little bit differently. And so he says, and he makes this incredible quote, faith alone is the true priestly office. And so that's what he said was qualifiers to be priests, to be those who interpret and communicate and participate in the preaching of God's word is faith alone. And that's what he believed at the Reformation, and that's why we all together can do that as one. And so he believed in what is called the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And essentially what that is is that we all, as God's people, whether we went to Bible college or not, uh, have the opportunity and the ability to read scripture, to interpret it, to communicate it, to share it with those around us, that we all kind of take responsibility in that priestly role. Because we have been given both the responsibility to do so as the priesthood of all believers, and also the ability to. So it's not just that we have the responsibility and we have to like figure it out ourselves, we do, but we also have been given the ability by God's spirit uh, residing in each one of you guys. And so because the Spirit is in each one of you, we have been given the ability for the Spirit of truth to illuminate God's word so that it's satisfying for us and communicable for those around us. But as much as we are the priesthood of all believers, Jesus is still the great high priest. So we need to remember that as we read God's word, as we share it, because we can interpret it however we want. Just because we are the, the priestly office as believers, doesn't mean that we can interpret it however we want, because we actually come under the authority of the great high priest, of Jesus, who is the word incarnate, who has been, who is the revelation, the way, the truth, and the life. And so our faithfulness, when we read and interpret scripture, is held accountable to the great high priest. Now, I hope that as we hear that, that inspires a sense of awe in our hearts, like, wow, like, this is, like, given to us as an ability to do. And I hope it inspires like a healthy sense of fear that we can't just like go on our way and interpret how we want, but that we come under accountability. And so I hope that it inspires both of that um, in us. And then finally, the role of the individual is laborers, that we labor with scripture. I'm sure that as you've read passages, you've labored with them because you're like, what in the world does this mean? Or you've labored with it because you're like, this offends me uh, and this offends my current worldview. And so we find parts of scripture, I hope I'm not alone, where we're stuck. Like we read this and we're like, what is going on here? 
I don't understand. Why are they talking about locusts that are really big? Like, what is this whole thing? What are the horses about? Like, all the things, right? And so you will find in Scripture that you're stuck sometimes. And so in those moments, you labor with Scripture. You labor with the Word so that you can understand what it means for yourself and for those around you. So that's parts that are vague. Uh, There are parts that are confusing. There are parts of Scripture that are far removed from our culture. And so in those moments, we labor with Scripture, but we also labor alongside the Spirit, who reveals that truth. And so sometimes there's more laboring than others when we read Scripture. So as we read and interpret Scripture, uh, there are some, like, words that are helpful to know um, that are important, I think, for you to know as you read, but also as you test the word that is communicated. The first one is exegesis. Um, exegesis simply means to pull meaning out of or from the text. The Greek exa is just a prefix that means out of. And so that is the ideal for scripture, that we read God's word, we open, we open our word, we read it, and we pull meaning from it. That, that means that it is the source of meaning, that we pull it from the scriptures. On the other hand is eisegesis, and this is what we uh, want to avoid, which is arbitrarily reading into the text. So that's an external uh, like method, interpretation, that's an external meaning that we implant upon scripture. And eisegesis is dangerous because it means that uh, we like lose a sense of objective truth, where it's like we can kind of speak our truth and then we like lay it over the Bible. And it's like putting a round peg in a square hole where we have to like fight to get that through and you may do that, uh, but it's reading meaning from an external source, which is our faulty human minds onto the text. So that's what we want to avoid. But I want to ask you a question. Do you think it's possible for us to come to scripture without any bias? Because bias is often what informs eisegesis, but can we come to scripture without any bias? No, we can't because we all have a life experience, we all have history, we all have tradition in which we were brought up, we all have um, a frame of reference or a worldview that we bring when we read scripture. And so we actually can't come to the word without a bias. However, we do have the opportunity and we do have the ability to suspend that bias so that we don't read meaning onto the text that was never meant to be there, that it was informed by something that we believed along the way that maybe wasn't actually true. Presuppositions aren't actually inherently bad, but when we impart them arbitrarily onto scripture, we create an idol out of it because we create God's word in our own image rather than in his. So we have the word hermeneutic. We also have the word hermeneutics, one extra word and yet different meanings. A hermeneutic is the specific method or the guidelines in interpreting text in which you interpret scripture. Um, That there are many methods that you get to the same truth or that some methodologies reveal a different sort of facet of scripture. So they're like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. There are things like the socio-rhetoric method, there's a historical critical method, there's like all of these methods that we could talk about and that you can understand for yourself and if you want to know about, I will give you some resources. But there are different methodologies in which people come to God's word and the hope is that as we are faithful to it, we all come to the same truth. Now there may be different facets that each method or each hermeneutic shows, Um, But it's like kind of all roads lead, hopefully, to truth. And this is truly where hermeneutics or studying God's word is a science. Because it's the way, simply, in which you pull meaning from scripture. 
but hermeneutics refers to those rules and principles that pertain to the interpretation of any text, irrespective of literary genre. That's kind of where it's an art, that there's like some, there's a truth, there's a science to it, but there's also like this way that you, that you come to it where you see different facets. Um, and then finally, we have anachronism. Again, another weird word. Anachronism is essentially just an act of attributing a custom, event, or an object to a period where it doesn't belong. So it's going back to the future. Um, yes, like the movie, where we will read uh, scripture and we're like, well, these people are riding on chariots pulled by horses. Why didn't they just get in their car and drive those places anyways? Like that's kind of a, a, like a funny example of anachronism because they didn't have cars. Um, but anachronism uh, particularly happens with when we read the Old Testament. Because we live in the New Testament revelation of Jesus. We live in the reality of him fully expressing and showing his, himself through his revelation, through his time on earth. And so sometimes we can get it backwards and su assume that Old Testament people actually have the same understanding of Jesus that we do. But they didn't. This was somebody who wasn't yet revealed. It was somebody who was prophesied about and foretold of, but somebody that they hadn't yet seen. And so they, have a, they would have a different understanding of who the Messiah was, because there's a progressive understanding throughout Scripture of who Jesus is. And so sometimes we can impart meaning that was never meant to be there, um, because we forget that we live in the New Testament revelation, and the Old Testament uh, characters haven't quite understood the fullness of who Christ is. So anachronism uh, causes us to read meaning that isn't supposed to be there as well. Well, if I were to ask you something, uh, what would be your three hermeneutical principles that you come to scripture in? I'm sure I could ask that and you're like, what? <laughs> like, I just read my Bible. Like, I just want to open it up and read it. Like, I don't think I need to have, like, principles of how I come to it. But the reality is we all do. We all have some things that we believe of the Bible. Like, maybe it's the inspired word of God. Maybe that it's uh, God's revelation of his redemptive plan for humanity. Maybe it's that you come in that it's instruction for our lives and God's best for us. So there are always ways that we come to scripture with a hermeneutic, so to speak. And so it's a good like, exercise to kind of think of what those things are. Like, what do I come to scripture uh, believing? What are some principles that I have when I read God's word? Because that will determine how you interpret it and how you pull meaning from it. Now, you may have heard this um, if you've been in church, where people are like, oh, what's an easy like, Bible study method? And you've heard of the SOAP method. Who, who has heard of that when you read the Bible? Yeah, so there's a SOAP method. Now, this is an easy way for people to kind of have some tools of how to read scripture. We have scripture, so what passage are you reading? <clears throat> Write it down, read it, whatever. The O is observation of the text. So what do I see? What are some repeated words? What am I like seeing that is written in this text? What am I understanding about the characters or the time or the place? And then there's application. Well, how does this apply to my life and to those around me? Like, how do I take that truth and actually use it? How is it useful to me? And then prayer. How do you talk to God about this passage? How do you submit your life to him more because of this? What is in your conversation with God now that you know something new about him? That's a hermeneutic. Like, it's simple, it seems pretty, like, like, ed, like, elementary, and yet it's a hermeneutic, because you come in with scripture, you come in knowing that you're going to observe something, you come in knowing that scripture is useful for your life, and that prayer is a thing that submits us to God's will, so that we don't go astray when we read it. And so it can seem like this is, like, a daunting task, but all you need to do is remember four letters, 
and it will help you in your Bible study. <clears throat> well, we've talked about studying scripture, but like this is great, it's theoretical thus far, but like how do we do that? What are some like tools? What can we sink our teeth into? Well, there are some tasks of hermeneutics, of reading and studying the Bible that are really helpful for you and I as we read it. The first one is context. <clears throat> and context is perhaps one of the most important starting points in studying scripture. There's a phrase that says, uh, context is king. Now, when we preach on Sunday mornings, you'll often hear us give like a little mini history lesson where we often will start out our, our sermon with that. And it can be like, why are they doing that? Like, are they just a bunch of history buffs? Um, I, am, and so, I am, and so I do really like history. And so typically that's why you're like, all right, let's move on with me. Uh, but we do that because context is incredibly important to how we reveal and understand scripture. It's the original setting that takes, in which an event takes place that frames interpretation. Context wasn't much of a priority back in the day. Uh, it wasn't something that was super like, important, but as time went on and as people could read God's word as their own, um, there was a backlash against applying scripture that just benefited the church, uh, and rightfully so. And so context is incredibly important because there's broad context and there's specific. Broad is like the Jews were considered to be God's people like in a broad concept. And then as the New Testament came, also the Gentiles were enveloped into that. And so people who believe in him are all God's people, broad context. Specific context would be like cultural differences of the time because we have Jewish people, but we also have Samaritan Jews who believe different things than uh, Orthodox Jews. And so then they have all the context that comes with that. Questions of context is who, what, when, where, why, and how. So those classic questions that you like learn in elementary school of how to understand a written work. And that's the same with scripture. Who's in it? What are they trying to say? When is it happening in time? Uh, where is it happening in time? Why is it even happening at, at all? And how does it apply to their life first and my life second? Because that helps us pull out meaning. Now, I think that there are phases of meaning, and these are them. It says, what, the first one is, what did it mean to the people then? Context, exegesis, pulling meaning from the text. What does this mean about God? Now, this is the vertical meaning that scripture has <clears throat> in terms of what does it show about who God is. The next is, what does it mean to me personally? This is the devotional meaning of scripture. This is the application part. Next one is, in light of that, what does it mean to us now? Again, a further application, but in a community sort of way. And then finally, how, does, uh, how do I share with you what it means to me? And this is the evangelistic piece of interpreting scripture. This is a part where it becomes not just about us or me personally, but it becomes about those who are lost. And so I understand these phases of meaning so that I can reveal Jesus, uh, or I can be part of revealing Jesus by the Spirit to other people who desperately need him. So there are different phases of meaning, all important for how we pull out scripture. And so if you're reading scripture and you're like, what does this, like, why am I reading this? Well, maybe you need to like, go through those phases of meaning, help with context, to help with our understanding of God, to help with what it means to me, what it means to us, and then what it means for those who don't know him yet. So that can be a great way to kind of frame your Bible study and Bible reading. And then finally, purpose. How did they use God's word? How did this writer use God's word? And why did the author write this? How does it pu push forward the thrusts of their argument or their writing? Um, we talk about Paul a lot. We've been going in Ephesians. Paul was like an argumentative kind of guy. He had like a determined end goal for what he wanted to say. 
And so as he wrote, he was very rhetorical. And rhetorical just means like the structure and study of argument. And so he had all of this rhetoric that he had where he would be leading people to somewhere. It'd be a truth about who God is. And so we need to understand why is, like, where is he going with this? Like, what's the purpose of him going? And where is he leading us to in terms of truth? Or she leading us to in terms of truth? Now, we've talked about laboring with scripture. We've talked about some tools of scripture. And finally, what I want to encourage you is to read, 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 and then reread the text. Sometimes I think we uh, go too quickly as we study God's word, where we read a scripture, we're part of like a Bible plan that we have, and it just like kind of like clicks us through the whole thing. But when you're stuck on a passage or where you're reading one, read it again, and then read it again, and then actually read it again. And then read it again, because you will pull different things from the text as you do so. And so if you're stuck somewhere, I don't want you to just like move on because you're stuck, but I want to encourage you to read it and read it and read it again, because that will help you pull things out. It's like when you uh, are looking at like an I Spy book, do you remember those things? Where you have like things that you're supposed to find amongst all of these like crazy pictures. Well, if you look at it once, you may find one of those things. But as you look at it a second time or a third time or a fourth time, you see other parts that you're supposed to pull out as well. And so I want to encourage you that if you're stuck, or even if you're not, to read, read, and reread the text. And then finally, uh, just as we close this particular uh, time, I want to encourage you to use various translations and to compare their interpretation of the original text. So you may be reading something in some uh, Bible translation, and you're like, this doesn't quite make sense. Read a different one. It may give you a little bit of a different like, flavor or a different perspective um, as another one. Now, there are kind of ways that uh, Bible translations are categorized. Uh, there's literal, <clears throat> there's dynamic equivalence, and then there's free. So literal is like taking the Greek or Hebrew and like translating it for what it is. So it, oftentimes those are like extremely weird, where they have like, they, like it doesn't sound like actual English because they have translated word for word and Greek doesn't follow the same sentence structure or Hebrew doesn't follow the same st sentence structure but they want the like, most literal translation. So those are ones like the NASB, the YLT. Then we have a dynamic equivalence where it's a little bit further in terms of like freedom in how they structure particular sentences. So that's ones like the NIV, the CSB, the NLT. And then we have free translations, which is like the message. And by free, it means more like it's less of a translation and it's more of like a study or a commentary on scripture. And so while I'm not going to suggest or prescribe like one or the other, um, because whatever translation works best for you works best for you with exceptions. We talked about one last week. There are some exceptions I would uh, have. But if a translation works for you, it works for you. But sometimes you may get stuck somewhere and so read a different translation. I do that all the time when I'm studying scripture, uh, when I'm preaching or when I'm just reading God's word, because it helps me just understand a little bit better. So I want to encourage you to not get just stuck on one translation, but to read a different one. The great way is that like our Bible app, or not ours, the Bible app on the App Store or the Google Play Store, it has like every translation you could possibly imagine. Um, and while some of them I think are not actually truthful to God's word, um, many of them are very helpful. And so you have like at access to you like, like literally tens of like hundreds of uh, different translations. And so use them because they will help you maybe understand a particular passage um, that you're, you're not quite getting as you read God's word. So this is just the start. This is kind of more of the theory of it. Uh, you're going to have to come back future weeks 
uh, to see kind of more practical ways, but we've started on it. Context and, and why and asking those questions and being people who want to study God's word, not just because we have a duty to, but because we have an incredible gift to us that is given to us as God's word. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. Uh, we're gonna sing a song called The Thousand Names. <clears throat> and I chose this song because uh, it says, I'm lost in wonder uh, in all you are. And so I want our time over these next three weeks to not just be about developing our minds. Now, of course, that's important. This is going to be more like teachy, so to speak, in terms of the content of what we're learning. But I don't want this to just be a clinical experience for our heads. But I want, as we journey in how to read scripture and building those building blocks, to develop our hearts as well, to be awed at who Jesus is, To be awed that he would give us this beautiful scripture that's full of poetry and song and historical account and um, allegory and parable and like all of these beautiful genres that he has given that to us as a gift so that we can see in a full dimensional uh, way who God is. And so as much as I want this to be about developing our minds, I really want this to be a moment where we actually are woken up to the awe of who God is as revealed in scripture. And so we're going to sing a song uh, about, knowing, uh, about the thousand names and more of Jesus that are revealed actually in scripture. That's this beautiful picture of who God is. And so we're going to stand together uh, and we're going to sing that together. <laughs>